0: Good morning, everybody. My name is David, and I am the pastor here at Redeemer Church. And uh, so glad that you guys made it this weekend. So glad that you took the time out of your busy lives to come and worship here with us at church. That means a lot. We hope that you are blessed from your time here, especially if you're new. We're really glad to, to welcome you guys here this morning. Um, we are in the second week of a series that we're doing called You Don't Pronounce the P in Pisummer." Did you know there was a P in the word summer? And you don't pronounce the P in the word psalm, but we thought we'd have some fun with it. And the fun that we, we're, we're trying to have through this series is really to every week kind of open up the book of Psalms, which is a different kind of book than the rest of the Bible. It's a book of poems. And uh, and we open it up and we read it differently than we read like the book of Matthew or the book of John or even like uh, a letter that Paul writes like First Timothy because it's art, it's poetry, it's something that, that is written from the heart. And so we can learn some different things from it. It can speak to us in different new and unique ways. And, and we're, we're trying trying to do that. Last week, uh, for the very first psalm, we actually opened up Psalm 1, which is the, the, the first psalm in the whole book. And, um, and it's a psalm actually about being happy and, and it uses this word blessed. And, uh, and one of the things that I did at the end of last week was gave you guys a challenge. I challenged you during the course of this series to every day read one of the psalms, to take some time, morning and night, actually, as Psalm 1 would kind of urge us and to read it and to pray over it and to meditate through it and just to spend that time letting that psalm lead you to God. And I said there's no set pattern or way that you need to do this. You can open up one psalm, do the second one the next day. You could do the same psalm for every day throughout this series, which is going to be about 40 days. But our hope is that, uh, I, and what I think will happen is that as you do that, as you connect with God daily in that pattern of prayer, just like Psalm One promises, that you're going to find your your happiness less rooted in the circumstances of your everyday life, and found more in 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 this relationship that you are fostering and and building into with God. And so uh, that 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 was the challenge. I, I know that a lot of you guys have done that. Uh, people have told me that they have, and I'm just really encouraged to hear that. And, uh, and I invite you into that as well. Today we're going to read um, all the way back from 1 to 116. We're going to read the 116th Psalm. But before we do that, uh, as we always do, let's go ahead and pray before we hear God's Word. Heavenly Father, uh, you who spoke the world into existence, we open our, our hearts we give you our minds now that you would speak again as you have already spoken through this, your holy word, um, Lord. But as you speak now and, and create new life in us by the things that, that you will say in the psalm, would our hearts be open to it? Would we be ready to receive that which you are, are wanting to give us by the power of your spirit? May the words of my mouth. And the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Okay, Psalm 116. It's kind of long. It was a poem, so it's a little choppy, right? But follow along. Listen, it's a beautiful psalm. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I trusted in the Lord when I said, I am greatly afflicted. In my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation. And call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Truly I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, Jerusalem." Praise the Lord. Amen. Okay, so I for years now, um, with varying degrees of success, have been trying to teach my kids to say please and to say thank you. Uh, Young people often need this lesson. I've noticed that actually sometimes adults... Need help with please and thank you as well and also particularly I'm sorry. <laughs> but, but with kids, there is this uh, really clear transition that's rather critical when, when you have this window to teach. When they go from being nonverbal to verbal, when they go from not speaking really at all to probably speaking more than you really want them to. (laughs) I see some folks laughing Uh, where they go from like grunts and whines and outstretched arms and uh, to hopefully a polite communication expressing their desire, right? And I feel as a parent like I have succeeded when that outstretched arm and that, that moan Turns into, Daddy, may I please have some of that cake? Right, I know that I've done it as a parent, and you get some of those wins, and kids learn that lesson if you work hard with them over time, and you hope that they keep it into their teen years, and then uh, and then sometimes you get moments as a parent where you think. Oh, my gosh, my kid gets it, and they get it too well. Let me show you <laughs> with the funny thing that happened this last week. Uh, it was bedtime in our house, and Shannon was reading Harry Potter to our three boys. And uh, this is a picture of Johnny. I, I never miss an opportunity to show a picture of the kids. That's me. Johnny looks like me. There he is. There's Johnny boy. And uh, he is three, and he... Uh, I like to lay down in his bed with him when we read the bedtime story because he's a little too young to hear it and I just get a chance to be with him. And so I climbed in bed and Johnny wasn't having it. He did not want me in that bed. Never done that before. He's pushing me out. Dad, get out of here. I don't want you. Ended up getting me out of the bed. And I was like, Johnny, I'd really like to lay here with you and listen to this story. And Johnny goes, Ote, okay, Daddy. He said, Daddy, say please. He said, <laughs> yeah, which was good, which was good. He got the lesson. Okay, but listen to what happened. Go, I said, okay. Uh, he said, Daddy, say, please, can you get in my bed? And I said, okay, Johnny, sure. I'd be happy to. Can I please get in your bed? And he looked at me, and a thought went across his mind. I could see it in his eyes, and he, he smiled, and he goes, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of scary, you know. Uh, so how many of you all have seen the movie Moana. Yeah, uh, some of us too many times, evidently. Uh, there is a song that you're going to definitely know that has come to mind as I have studied this psalm and been living in the psalms for the past few weeks. And uh, if you don't know it, you're going to understand why I play it in a
1: second. Let's go ahead and watch it. So what I believe you were trying to say is thank you. Thank you? You're welcome. What? No, no, no. I, I didn't. I wasn't. Why would I ever say <laughs> okay, that? Okay. I mean, I see what's happening, yeah. You're face to face with greatness and it's strange. You don't even know how you feel. It's adorable. Well, it's nice to see that humans never change. Open your eyes, let's begin. Yes, it's really me, it's Maui, breathe it in. I know it's a lot, the hair, the blood, when you're staring at a demigod. What can I say except you're welcome For the tides, the sun, the sky Hey, it's okay, it's okay, you're welcome I'm just an ordinary demi-guy Hey, what has two thumbs and pulled up the sky When you were waddling, yay, hi, this guy When the nights got cold, who stole you fire from down below You're <laughs> looking at him, yo Oh, also I last So the sun. You're welcome. To stretch your days and bring you fun. Also I harness the breeze. You're welcome. To fill your sails and shake your trees. So what can I say except you're welcome. For the islands I pull from the sea. There's no need to pray, it's okay. You're welcome. Ha! I guess it's just my way of being me. You're welcome. You're welcome. Welcome to think of it. Kid, honestly, I could go on and on. I could explain every natural phenomenon. The tide, the grass, the ground. Oh, that was Maui just messing around. I killed a I burned its guts. Sprouted a tree. Now you got coconuts. What's the lesson? What is the takeaway? Don't mess with Maui when he's on a breakaway. And the tapestry here in my skin is a map of the victories I win. Look where I've been. I make everything happen. Look at that me, mini Maui. It's okay, it's okay, you're welcome. you're welcome Well come to think of it, I gotta go Hey, hey it's hey, okay hey, to say hey. you're, welcome. you're welcome Cause I'm gonna need that boat hey. I'm sailing away, away hey. you're, welcome. you're welcome Cause now we can do everything but float you're welcome. You're welcome.
0: All right. Hope you guys uh, enjoyed that. Y- you're welcome. Uh, and and uh, parents, this is now provides a new platform to suggest a thank you out of your kids, but it does backfire. In the last service, we had two teenagers who sang this exact song to their mother the whole time, and it looks like we had one here. <laughs> That's awesome. But you know, uh, as I was thinking about this psalm and actually had watched this movie this last week, uh, it occurred to me that in what, what the scriptures, what the Psalms are trying to do, like there is a direct lesson here from, from that song. I, I mean, uh, there's some definitely differences in the parallels. God is not a demigod like Maui. God is so much bigger and, and, and more incredible than, than the small story that is part of Polynesian culture that this is drawn from. But, but there is a God... A, a one true god who who put hung the stars in the sky, who ordered our world, who made it as such that you and I can live and breathe and have a life that is actually filled with joy, where we experience the the, the, the depth of of wonder in relationships, where we know the the incredible um, joy of, of having a success, of setting out to do something where we get to, to know that there's a God who deeply loves us, especially in the Christian story, who, who is doing all this for our good, right? And this God exists, and yet, like so often we go and we live life, and we don't even remember that, that every day is, is a gift from God, and we forget to say thanks. So how do we live a life in a way that thanks God? How do we live a life in a way that recognizes who God is and what He has done and at the same time offers thanks? And and actually there is a psalm that, that, that really captures this that came to mind. It's Psalm 8. It's written by David. He may have been sitting on a hillside looking up into the scars and he said, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, who is mankind that you are mindful of him? human beings that you care for him. David's asking the question, how do I give thanks to God for this incredible position in life that he has given me as part of humanity? How do I I give thanks? And the question is actually answered there in the psalm itself. Uh, When I looked back and I read it, I noticed at the beginning, at the end, there was this proclamation, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. In all the earth? That's how David answers the question. He he makes this proclamation of God's beauty, of his wonder, of this majesty, of his glory that has been poured out in all the earth and that he gets to experience right here and right now. And what he's doing, his response, is what we understand biblically to be worship. Worship is the way that we say thank you to God. And worship happens when we come to this realization of who God is, who we are, a- a- and we respond to God with an orient- a reorientation of our lives. What is worship? How would you define it? Well, this is the way that, that I think is a very good biblical understanding, a large understanding of worship. It's this. Worship is how we live in response to the goodness of God. Worship is how we live in response to God's goodness, the way that we angle our lives, the way that we position ourselves, if we do that in response to God, if we angle ourselves towards God, if we live a life thinking about God and and putting God before us, that's worship, and that's the biblical vision of, of what God actually wants us to do in response to who God is, that, that, that actually our best place, the place where we're most fulfilled and most blessed is when we find that, that that's, that's where we need to be, angling our lives towards God. And, and then, so so that's a big, holistic, all-encompassing understanding of worship. And let me then, just because I feel like this needs to be said, talk about one of the ways that we often think about worship that truncates it down, that makes it less th- th- than the entire biblical vision of worship. And it's when we, we begin to use language and talk about worship as simply the, th- the thing that we do when we sing, right? Worship is not just music or a particular musical genre, right? Praise and worship is a thing, But that isn't the all-encompassing vision of of worship in life that God wants. Worship is not what's played on KSBJ. Worship is not the songs collected in a hymn book. Worship is not these prayers and rituals that happen. It may include those things, but that's just a part of what happens in the people of God do this special thing when they gather and and worship communally. And and so uh, music is a part of it. You know, but 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 it's more than that, and, and and so I also want to say here then, worship is is not just like an emotional buzz, or our emotional response to God, right? Worship is definitely emotional. Worship comes from the heart. It's something that we do uh, because God has worship ha, ha, has has done something in our lives, but but. Uh, it's more than our emotions. It's more than a feeling you get when you sing. It's more than, than, than that because actually sometimes the best kind of worship, the kind that God likes the most, is when we still angle our lives towards God when our hearts don't feel it at all. Right? And, and, and that's a really critical part in understanding what worship is. Here's another thing related to it. Worship is also not a show. Worship is also not a performance when, when we worship, when we come to 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 worship God with our lives, when we come on Sunday morning, we're not coming to, to like, uh, a concert, and we're not coming to, 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 to sit down like we would watch TV and consume something. That's the narrative of our culture. That's how we all have been trained to think about this, but that's not the right way to think about it. In fact, worship is instead, like, this thing that we come and do in giving back to God. Worship happens not when we consume, but when we are consumed by God's love and therefore offer something God back to to Him. Um, and, And I think it's just really critical to see that difference. That doesn't mean that we don't strive to make things excellent. Uh, th- 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 actually, we work very hard to make a really good worship service, uh, but what we're trying to do is facilitate the relation that you have with God and that we as a people gather to have with God. We're here to tell a story, to be a part of this mission and this thing that God is doing, remembering what God has done in the past and letting it be a part of who we are as God makes all things new. Like, like That's what worship is, and as we sing and we preach, it gets us one step closer to, to being a part of that of that vision and that story that God's playing out in, in the world. Rick Warren, who is a pastor, once said, uh, if you leave church and say, I didn't get anything out of worship today, you came and you worshiped for the wrong reason. Worship isn't for you, it's for God. Right? And and I and I think that 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 he's right. And um and I, and I think that when we get this wrong when, when we think that it's more of a performance than a sacrifice and offering a gift that we give to God, we, we don't, people see through it. I think that people who are not Christians immediately notice that that isn't the authentic real thing of faith that Christianity is supposed to be a part of. There's a worship leader named Tim Hughes who, who tweeted out a quote from an atheist friend that he has that, that said this, if church is a show, I can go to much better ones. Show me something real and honest and different, right? And that's what happens. That's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to live real, honest, and different kinds of lives that are stirred and come from a heart of gratitude towards God, right? And, and, and so just to clarify, what, are, what, what is music? What is preaching? It, it's, it's a vehicle, It is something that helps that happen in our lives. That's why we want to do it excellently, because we want to provide a space and a way for your heart to be stored for for the way that music is able to provide words for emotions sometimes that we don't even have and we need to express towards God, right? Music uniquely enables us to express our emotions. It is a great instrument of worship. That's why the Psalms are filled with songs. What is preaching? Preaching is important. I try to do a really good job, but you know what I really want to do in preaching? Is move you further closer t- to Jesus. Is to get you to see the God who loves you and cares for you. And then by opening up God's word and understanding it, hearing these very words of God that speak life into yours and move you one step closer to, to, to a life created in the image of, of God, right? That God intended for us. And, and, and so that, that's what we're trying to do. And Psalm 116 is one of these songs. It's one of the things that helps us try to do that. It is a vehicle that we get in and we go somewhere in worshiping God. And, and I want to break it down for you guys a little bit. Let, let, let's uh, begin first verse. I just want to rehash the beginning. I love the Lord for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. You know, so clearly, the way that this psalm begins, um, it's a response to something God has done. This is a song of thanksgiving. It's a song of praise. And this, this psalmist who writes this, is writing it because there is something very specific that happened in his life that God has has stepped into and saved him from. What happened, um, you know, we actually don't really know. There is not a lot of detail here. It's kind of shared in the abstract, the, the way that he expresses the trouble that's there, the anguish of the grave, the chords of death. That's not specific um, and, 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 so, and there's also no historical elements, nothing that we could tie this psalm down to. We don't even know who wrote it. And so, uh, and so we're not exactly what, sh- what happened, but, I mean, based on what he says, it's pretty clear that it's, it's fairly serious, right? There was something very serious happening in this person's life. And, um, and you know, sometimes you don't know how serious it is in music because, remember, this is poetry, this is art and uh and sometimes in art we tend to exaggerate to make a point right uh this is texas there's a thing called country music right Country music knows how to exaggerate really well to make some points, right? I was listening to a TED talk and a guy said, music is, uh, singing is just a way to exaggerate your own speech, right? And I think that there's, there's some truth to that. But, but my sense I- I- in reading this and studying it and thinking about its historical context is that actually, it's p- we probably do need to think that something very, very serious and tragic and troubling was happening. Because we're the ones that live with the reference point where we tend to exaggerate the troubles in our lives, right? Oh, the screen on my smartphone broke. Uh, you know, I didn't have internet for five hours. The cords of death entangled me, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like we're the ones that, that really don't have the right reference point. And here, in, you know, this was centuries before Jesus walked. In, in in the world, life was cheap. People were dying all the time, and, and so it's very likely this guy is. Scholars think maybe he's fatally sick with a disease on his deathbed. He could have had. Uh, People that were trying to kill him, take his life. Specifically, there could have been an army about to come and invade his city. We know that that happened in other psalms where King David calls out to God. We don't know the details, but we know that at some point in this, li- in this guy's life, something very serious was happening, and, uh, and he needed help desperately, and he called on God. And the reason that this psalm was written is because in his distress, God answered He responded to him, and he made things much better. He heard his cry for mercy. And I want you to notice something. Um, It it reads a little choppy, uh, because actually the psalmist is moving in and out of tenses. And and he's moving in and out of things that happened in the past, thinking about things in the future, living now in the present. And verses 2 through 4, those verses where he describes this problem, it's all past tense. He's remembering things that have happened earlier, and, and it's, the, it's the things that happened in the past that then lead him to make proclamations about who God is in the here and now. Verse 5, The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. So after he remembers those terrible things, now he's saying, listen to how good and graceful and righteous God is. Look at how compassionate our God is right now, right here. And, and so he, what, what he's doing is he's in worship, he's remembering the things of the past to call forth his praise of God in the present. And I just think that is so key. I think you need to see that. I think we all need to see that, that worship so often happens in the present when we remember the past goodness of God in our lives. Worship for you is going to be easier in the present when you are aware and come to a realization and make it a habit to remember how good God has been to you in the past, right? And some of us, when we think about our past, like we can remember some pretty terrible stuff, just like this psalmist writes about where God acted in, in our lives, right? I know some of your stories. I know some of us have been at that grave, literally. I know some of us have been caught up in life situations that are not good at all, you know, and by the very grace of God, there was a friend in our life. We got convicted about it. Something happened, and we were able to move forward and, and build things anew. And, and, Worship happens when we call that to mind. And if you are here and want to worship God and show up, one of the things that I see people doing uh, w- when they get to worship sometimes is they sit down and pray, and and I know that people remember those things in the past so they can be fully present here now. God, thank you for the way that you worked in my life then. Lord, let me call that forth now as I'm singing to you. And it doesn't have to be a big thing. It doesn't have to be a big thing, when, when we offer our prayers of thanks, it can be a, a, a very small thing. Like there are ways that God's grace gets poured out to us every day and we say thank you in worship. Like, like that happened this week, maybe happened this morning, that has happened this, these last months, this summer. Did you guys go on vacation? Got, got to go on vacation? You know that a, a great portion of our world doesn't even know what that is, you know? Let's be so thankful for a life that we get to live that God has made the opportunity and provided the finances that we can go on a thing called vacation, right? Did you eat great food this week? Right? <laughs> Thank God for good food. I am uh, I mean, you, it's just so nice that God created a world where we have something called taste buds, right? <laughs> and we get to enjoy Food, I mean, uh, did you take joy in your kids and your grandkids? Is there a relationship that you're thankful for? When when you come to this place, when you are in your daily life and you're sitting down to pray, call those things to mind because they will help you remember how good God has been to you right here and right now and, and position your hearts to be angled towards God. And just a cool tidbit about this psalm. Psalm 116, maybe y'all are familiar with the story of the Exodus. If not, that's okay. God's people were in bondage and slavery in Egypt. And God, through this act of... This incredible miraculous act uh, frees God's people and they sacrifice a lamb that's part of the last act of God that frees them. And so every year after that happened, the people of Israel would eat what was called the Passover meal to remember this incredible liberating act of God in the life of of all of them in the life of their nation. And and during that meal, there was this kind of ritual, this liturgy where they would lift up four cups and and, end the fourth cup. They would lift it up, and you know what they would say? They would read Psalm 116. They would read this exact psalm to remember their oppression and the anguish of the grave, which was very real during the Exodus, and say, God, we thank you so that they in that present moment could worship God fully and completely how God wanted, right? And um, and when we're able to do that, to to remember the past, to worship God in the present, here is the, the word that the Psalmist used to describe what happens in his heart, the reason that he writes the psalm right at the beginning, verse one, I love the Lord, I love the lord right. it 's this this emotion this this feeling, but it 's also more than that, this response of love that 's what happens when we offer worship. we begin to have an understanding and this emotion and this response of love. I want to talk about that for a second because uh, probably when we hear the word love in the Psalms, in the Bible, what we do is we import our contemporary understandings of what love is into this, this historical concept that all of humanity has known, but it's been understood differently throughout the years. And I think in the way that we understand love now, We have quite a bit of confusion about it in our world. We uh, we use it in so many vast and varied ways. We talked in January. We spent a whole like four sermons talking about what love was, right? And one of the things that that we uh, that emerged was trying was seeing that oftentimes when we talk about love, what we really mean is we like someone something. It gives us good feelings. We're sentimental towards it, right? So we say, "I love Papa John's pizza," right? Yeah, I love um, Netflix, and I love Stranger Things, and I can't wait for the next season to come out, right? I love Crocs, and, uh, and I'm wearing Crocs right now, and you can't even tell. They are so comfortable, and I love them, right? <laughs> and I want to tell you that, uh, that what I mean when I say I love Crocs is, like, I appreciate them. I like what they do for me. Right? And there, there's a sentimentality towards the things that, that we talk about we love. And uh, and that's there in, in the biblical understanding and what's happening in verse one. Um, let's be clear this is, this is a psalm written out of a response to what God has done in a person's life. But this is only half of it. Sentimentality is only half of the biblical concept of love. And the part that we really need to get and understand out of our love. Is, is, is the other half. In Hebrew, what this word is for love in verse one is ahava, ahava. And uh, it does carry some of those sentimental feelings, probably not like my love for Papa John's pizza, but definitely my love for like my brother or a friend. Um, a- a- and it also though has uh, an has entirely different meaning That Jewish people would have been very aware of, and and it's this. Do you know what the root of love is? It's to give. Ahava's root means to give. Not what I get, not what I take from it, but but what I give. I love by giving. Right? That is so different than my love for Papa John's pizza. It's so different than sentimentality. It, 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 it shows us what the psalmist had in mind here. When he says, I love the Lord, he, he's bringing to mind all these good things that God did in his life. And, and he's therefore then bringing God his thank you. He's saying, this is the thank you that I'm offering you for all the good that you have done in my life. I love the Lord. And that's why later on he's going to say, I will bring a thank offering to the Lord. Because Jews had this way of taking this abstract thing called thank you and making it very real. And uh, and that you could get your hands on it where they would bring a sacrifice into the temple in a way to thank God for all the things that that." that he had done in their life. They would give this sacrifice. It captured that understanding of giving. And and really, this is where the psalm goes. It takes us. This is the place where it wants us to finish by understanding that what we do as worship is giving to God. Verse 12 is the turning point in this psalm. And it's a pivot, and, and it asks this question. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? What can I give God for all the ways God has been good to me? It's kind of an interesting question when you think about it, right? Because you're giving something to God, to, to God who by definition does not really want or need of anything because he's God, right? Who doesn't have a wish list on Amazon and a birthday coming up, right? How do you give to the God who needs nothing, uh, this is the question that the psalmist is asking. And, and so um, what's amazing is that he also answers it. He answers it as you move through the psalm. There's a number of things that he calls out that we can give to God that make a difference. But I just, for the sake of time, want to capture one of them. And it's, it's what he says the, in the very next verse. How do I return for God's goodness? What do I give him? He says, I will lift up the cup of salvation. Some, some translations say, I will take up the cup of salvation, which is also actually a really interesting thing. Like, so the psalmist just said that he's going to give to God by taking something, right? Seems like taking is the opposite of giving. Like, this is what I say to my brother on his birthday when I didn't give him any gift. I say, Danny, you know, for your birthday, I'm gonna take that beautiful fishing rod off your hands this week, right? <laughs> you know, like like there's something that it's hard to understand. So how do you give by taking? Well, th- this is this is the best that, that I have been able to understand it. Has anybody watched um, I know you all have. Who watches Master Chef? Yeah, who watched Chop? Any Gordon Ramsay fans out there? It's a good show. So I've been watching those shows for a while. And I like to watch the judges and their behaviors, these professional chefs that try this food. And I, I've noticed um, that judges never take more than one bite of any particular dish. And that's incredible because people will make like the best looking lobster you've ever seen, and Gordon Ramsay takes one bite, a half a bite, right? They make beef Wellington, and there's one bite, and then my insides turn when they take that plate. And then they dump it into the trash, and I want to eat the whole thing. But, uh, but, but, but we know why they do that. It's because judges can't, th- there's 20 contestants, and they get 20 bites. And sometimes they're doing multiple meals, so if they ate it, they'd get sick. They can't keep eating all the food all the time. But how do you know when a home cook has knocked it out of the park? You know, what is the clue? It's when G- Gordon Ramsay goes back for a second bite. <laughs> right? Then you know that somebody really cooked a darn good meal. And, uh, and, and, and it's so interesting like that that's how he gives his, his, his uh, praise of the chef's meal is by taking more. Right? That's what we do with the chef. How do you tell a chef that you like their food? You go back for seconds. You take thirds. This is how I uh, realized that I was finally a Texas native. I got on the scale and saw a number that I had never seen before. Right? (laughs) I love Texas food; like it's so wonderful, and uh, and I love you, Texas. And Texas says you're welcome. But uh, but but do you see how this immediately translates into our lives? How do we lift up the cup of salvation? How do we take from God and therefore give to God? We, we take more of this gift that God has given us, this offer of salvation, this new life, these new promises, and we, we take it as much as we can, we ask for more, we get more, we keep coming back, we, we, we take that story and we make it our own, right? That, that, that's how we take and give back to God. And, and so that's why it's so critical that when you, when you are, are living your life, when you show up on Sunday for this particular part of the way that we worship with all our lives, that, that, that we are here and fully present and giving God everything that he wants from us because this is the thing that we can do. We can give God our lives. We can sing praise. We can offer our thanks. We can pray prayers, and, uh, and we can literally lift up the cup of salvation. Just one more thing you, you may not see, and I want to help you see it. Do you know that when we take communion, we actually are doing the thing that this psalm tells us to do exactly every week, we lift up the cup of salvation, literally the cup that Jesus lifted up when he offered us the, the new promises of salvation. And, and by doing that, by drinking of that, by taking of it every week over and over again, uh, man, remember Psalm 1? Blessed is the one who is like a tree planted by streams of water who meditates on God's law both day and night, right? Right? You are making much of Jesus in your life. You're taking, you're angling everything you have towards him and the result is that we get in this position that that God made us for of worship, of living our lives towards God and we are blessed. I'm praying that for every single one of you. Let's go ahead and pray now. Lord, we thank you. We want to live a life of thank you. We want to angle everything we have towards your goodness poured out to us um, beyond what we realize, beyond what we see. Lord, would, would you help us to drink of that cup of salvation, to lift it up, to take it more and more in the ways that you offer it, Lord? And would it be pleasing in your sight? Would, would it bring a smile to your face? Would, would it be exactly what you want to give us? Lord, and, and would it make us joyful. We pray that in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.